and welcome to the Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. I'm Chris O'Fault, Deputy Editor of Film and TV Craft at IndieWire, and my guest today is writer-director Emerald Fennell, talking about her film, Promising Young Woman, and the way this is going to work is uh, Emerald and I are going to talk for about, you know, 20, 25 minutes, and then we're going to welcome into the discussion her costume designer, Nancy Steiner, and production designer, uh, Michael Perry, on this film. Uh, you know, Emerald, I was, I went to watch the rewatch the film last night, um, to prep for this discussion and I was trying to get my family to watch it with me. So I wasn't, uh, relegated to the laptop up in the bedroom and, uh, I'm trying to describe it and I'm going, you know, it's a black comedy satire. There's a revenge fantasy, a little rom-com and I'm realizing I'm not describing it in any way that's capturing your film. And then I flip on the app and it's categorized in screener passport as a thriller. And it was kind of at that moment I realized you know, how many different needles you threaded with this film and, and tonally. I'm wondering if maybe the best place to start here is your intention. And when you sat down to write this, or maybe it was even pitch it, you know, what you were aiming for and, and what you were going for here. I mean, it's such a difficult one, that, because, you know, the answer, the very unhelpful answer is, is who knows? It's, <laughs> it's so, for, for me... I wish I thought of things in a sort of... I wish I could think of things in a genre way or or a, a, this is what I'm kind of setting out to do, you know, even a political way. I know some people can do that. But really, for me, it tends to sort of, you know, take shape in a sort of slightly mysterious way, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so it was a few things, really. It was It was... I wanted to talk about, or rather I was interested in, in female rage and the way it's expressed and how we can express it and how rarely you see that um, on screen, like real rage in its kind of unpleasantness and its life-destroyingness and its, um, yeah, kind of. It's it's a sort of act of self harm, revenge, isn't it? So it it kind mm-hmm. of. I was very interested in how you. How you can, how could you make a. Revenge movie, that was about, how ultimately. Horrible and futile the act of vengeance is, um, and could could it be a film about you know, with a real woman at the centre that actually, even though it's heightened and it does, um, you know, it, it does kind of play within a lot of different genres. The The truth of it is that it's just somebody's life that feels very real and somebody's decision that is, um, uh, you know, a terrible idea, really, but the only thing that they can do or they feel they can do, which is just the worst answer because... Because <laughs> this is the thing, <laughs> you trying to describe it to your family is probably about the same as me trying to describe it to anyone. <laughs> I keep getting asked to, people say, could you just describe the film in a couple of sentences? And I'm like, well, could try. Um, but it's it's sort of like all of the things I love. It is a dark comedy about something really deeply troubling. And that's the thing is that um, your film doesn't pull any punches. You know, we've been having a lot of conversations about what consent looks like these last few years, and we're watching very predatory behavior. Um, 
right right from the start. And yet you're positioning the audience and setting a tone in which I'm not trying to undermine any of the ugliness that you're not pulling punches about here, but it's incredibly watchable. And maybe that was something that came natural in how you wrote it. But if you start taking it apart, some of these some of the decisions you're making right from the start seem to be finding a way to position the audience in relationship to what we're seeing here so that we're in a position where we're, we're seeing all of this ugliness, but we're also in a position to, to laugh, to have some distance from it to a certain degree and to experience. I wonder if you could talk about that opening a little bit. Well, distance is interesting. I hope it's not distancing. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. I think the thing for me about humor is that it's, it makes you complicit. I mean, at its very, very root, humour is a sort of... Um, it's it's about finding our... Yeah, the things we have in common. It's, it's lets our guard down. It's much, much easier for me, in my everyday life, actually, really, to discuss difficult things with humour because I don't really know how else to address them. I don't... I think often when it comes to things like this, to be direct is so horrifying, actually, um, that that really, you know, it's sort of about, it was trying to kind of, you know, approximate, I suppose, the sort of conversations that my friends have about this stuff, that my female friends have about this thing. And it's a sort of, gallows humour which is a survival mechanism really and so there's there's that side of it but the pre-title sequence of the film is kind of a useful (laughs) little sort of diorama of the film in general because it is as you say it's it's a kind of switch and bait and it's a sleight of hand and and it's I think that if you are obsessed with movies as you obviously clearly are more than anyone but I am too you know how well-versed we are in structure, how well-versed we are in genre now. And so those things are so open to exploiting because actually so many things happen in that pre-title sequence. It it could be a romantic comedy. You know, it really could be. The the character Jerry, who is played by um, Adam Brody, the brilliant Adam Brody, you know, he thinks he's a nice guy. This could be the beginning of a hookup drunk like hook up at the beginning of a romance kind of like raunch romance of the last 10 years um or later it could be the inciting incident of a you know terrifying horrible drama or late even later still you know, up until the very end of that scene and then, you know, maybe the bit just before the pre-title sequence when she's walking on the street and you think she has blood on her leg and actually it's ketchup, you know, then is it a horror? Is it a kind of horror where she's... Is it a revenge horror where she is, like, enacting violent, bloody revenge? So I think so much of it is the misdirect so that, you know, people are engaged the whole time. I mean, that's, that, that makes it sound like it's sort of a you know, like I'm trying to kind of coat a lot of medicine in sugar. I think there is, there's a, there's an element of that with this film. But in general, I don't really, I don't want to, I want to make things, I want to talk about these things very deeply. Uh, I don't know the answer to them. Everyone feels very differently. There's no, you know, there's no right way to discuss this stuff. But I do feel like, 
you know, to make a film about something this difficult, if you can make it accessible, and if you can't, you know, there's, you can make things worthy, you can make them, you know, worthy of discussion, you can make them, um, you know, incredibly sad and bleak and all of the things that I think in many ways this film is, but it's, but you, you know, you want to get people to watch it. You want to get people to watch it and to discuss it and to not be let off the hook. And so, so much of this movie, like Cassie, is a trap. It's a deliberate trap. And that trap is to say, you know, you, you know what you're getting with this. It's going to be really fun. It's going to be super cathartic. It's going to be really, you know, it's going to be all the things you want to see. And, and it's, you know it's only until later that it, you realise it's not and it's too late. And I hope it's still just as enjoyable a movie as it would be had it been that movie. But it's one that is impossible to, you know, whether you like it or you don't like it. I think the, the worst thing for me was making a movie that was so enjoyable, let's say, uh, that people never thought about it ever again once they left the movie theatre or as it is now, their couch. (laughs) Well, maybe distancing was the wrong word because I think really what it is is that there's almost these buffers that allow us relationship to this, right? And I think music might be a good example, right? You know, you're kind of, to use an expression from the UK, you're kind of knocking the piss out of men, right? <laughs> to you, right? In the right with, uh, what was it, boys? And, uh, <laughs> and, 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 and it, but I mean, it feels like maybe, and maybe music is a good way of talking about this, right? It's, 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 it, those type of things allow us, put, put us in a seat where we can, you know, yeah, we're laughing, but we can also maybe have a little distance and I, distance is the wrong word, but a buffer in which we can absorb this material in a different way. Well, I suppose it's sort of, yes. I mean, I agree. I think, I think there is like an irony. There's certainly like an irony present in the movie and a kind of slyness. But I, I think also kind of crucially that recedes the further we go on. Um, you know, yeah, it, 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 you that, it yeah. never, it quite goes because there's always a sort of, yeah, there's always a kind of black comedy to the film, really, to the to the bitter end. But it's so it's so funny. I know I know exactly what you mean. It's it's but but I kind of feel it's it is a buffer, but it's also if a buffer can also be a lovely soft pillow, <laughs> I guess because I yeah. think the thing is is that yes you're right, there's a kind of, there's an awareness, there's a, you know, Charlie XCX, the first lines of the film, which are sung, are, I was busy thinking about boys, you know, which I was when I was writing and making this film, I was very busy thinking about them. And so, yes, I think what is great is it's a joke that the audience is in on, that the audience is complicit in, both the genre that they think that they are about to see all of the things that come with that genre, the sort of, you know, we all get bloodlust when we watch these movies. We want her to um, castrate a bunch of people with a rusty nut. You know, that's kind of what we want. And so it's, it, it, you know, the ways in which we are complicit in this film, we want her to fall in love and have a happy ending. It's not just, are we complicit in this kind of, the, the wider political thing. It's are we complicit in this world that the movie is making? Are we believing 
the stuff? Are we believing that what the world tells us, this is so nebulous and impossible, but, but are we to believe that Britney Spears and Charlie XCX and a pink furry jumper and a colourful manicure makes us safe? Because it doesn't. It doesn't make women safe. It doesn't make men safe. Um, and that is kind of an important distinction. And so the illusion of safety was always going to be important. And, you know, and apart from anything else, it was going to be kind of Venus flytrap, I think. Mm-hmm. I think the other part that's really important right up top is that sense of agency. You know, and I know you were on Killing Eve, uh, did a lot of work on that, but there is this sense of uh, not only knocking the piss out of the men, like they're clearly dangerous, but I mean, how how dangerous are we worried about, you know, khaki boy dancing to... Charlie X, but but it, but it becomes this also this idea that Carrie is has power, right? And that we feel there's there's a comfort there's a certain comfort, I think about it's raining men and staring down the um, the construction workers. It feels like there might that might also allow for something that had to be established up top to a certain degree. Yes, except I think that that is an illusion too. Does she have power, or is she? Does she have no, nowhere else to go? nothing else to lose. I think that's, you know, because just because we don't see what can happen in those, you know, in the nightclub scenes, the thing that she's been doing for a long time to make herself feel better, just because we don't see the worst of those doesn't mean that hasn't happened. I think I think most people will acknowledge and in fact, there was a there was a scene that I cut from the movie that we shot, but it just didn't. I didn't think it necessarily needed saying. But there was a um, there was a breakfast scene after she'd gone to a nightclub where you know she tells her parents she had a really nice night, and she yeah. and then she has a nightclub stamp on her hand and bruises on her arm. So I think. How scared should we be of the khaki dancing guys? Very, is the truth. Very. Right. You know, just because they don't think of themselves as predators doesn't mean they aren't, doesn't mean they're not as dangerous, doesn't mean that they won't do the same thing that a predator will do, but just dress it up differently. So, so all of that stuff is so kind of complicated. And the thing about Cassie that I love and why Carrie is just such a genius is that, you know, what she's doing is addictive, it's self-harm, it is at best briefly a relief. You know, I think like we talked a lot when we were making it about addictive cycles and, you know, the, the, the horror and dread that leads up to the need for release. Lots of people would do drugs, have sex, get drunk, you know, gamble whatever it is the th- whatever your thing is her thing is this thing and it's going and it's waiting and it's punishing that is the thing that she does it's incredibly dangerous you know and so yes at the very beginning because we're conditioned to see these heroines as kind of invincible and empowered and all of that kind of stuff i think we think she's more powerful than she is you know she's she's actually um 
you know, why do people put themselves in incredibly dangerous situations? Because they're, you know, and the answer for her is she's grieving and she's angry. Let's talk about casting for a second because, and I'm right off the bat, I'm thinking of uh, Adam Brody in the beginning. It feels like to a certain degree, you're thinking about how the audience is first seeing this person. You know what, you know, you know, as an actress yourself, when someone walks on screen, there's a certain persona, there's a certain thing that we automatically see. Of course, that can change with character and choice and action stuff. But it, it does seem like the the casting of the men not is is a is, is taking that into account, like how we interact or we kind of come with the knowledge of them. And Carrie is an interesting choice because I mean, she's an incredible actress, but I always think of her, I think of wildlife, you know, and I think of her as this, you know, she plays characters that kind of distance us a little, emote a, a, a little, very little, but yet she has this incredible ability of, of letting the audience see the gears and the, and, and, and these, in in the, the, the emotion that she's trying to hide there. And it's just an interesting choice. I mean, she's incredible in this movie, but it's, it, that's a different thing than going, there's a totally different actress that you could put in that role. Um, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Not obviously these people are all very talented, but you know, in the way that we're talking about music and the way that we're talking about color, or we're going to talk about color casting seems to be a decision. You're a, a, a brushstroke you're playing with here to a certain degree. Well, she's a genius. And I say that, you know, it's difficult to sort of say things like that because it's sort of a word that's bandied around, but she's exceptional. Mm. And she only plays, you know, and it's an interesting thing. I don't think she does, but I, I know what you mean. And I think that is a perception of her. I, I think that we have a perception of her as an actress, perhaps, that she is a little kind of distant or, or that the characters she plays are aloof. Characters that she plays is distant and she does it incredible because she lets us in. But here's yeah. the thing that's really interesting is actually I'm not sure that's the case because you look at shame, you look at drive, you look at an education, you look at suffragette, uh, far from the burning crowd. And actually, I would say even wildlife, these people are incredibly vulnerable. She's mm -hmm. very good at vulnerability, but she doesn't play, but she's also not, you know, she won't, Kerry never takes the easy route ever. She always plays the truth. It's, she only mm -hmm. plays the parts I think that she feels she can find that truth in them. And I suppose for me with Cassie, she had to be a real person. There was such, you know, mm -hmm. there's such a temptation. There's so much pressure, I think, on, you know, on female writers and directors to be empowering, you know, to be strong, um, to be badass, to be whip smart, to be all of these kind of words that you hear a lot and mm -hmm. that are complimentary words, but actually they're very diminishing. You know, Cassie is not badass. She's fucking furious and she's <laughs> exhausted and she's grieving mm -hmm. and she doesn't know what to do you know that that it, and so and so there was never a question of of you know of it being somebody who would play the movie you know it was my job to to find that tone for the movie that would be accessible and fun and misleading and all that but but for all of the actors I needed them really more than anything to just be completely straight and completely honest and so and when it came to the, the men and the women, really, it was the same thing. It was just all of them. The discussion was always, this is your movie. 
you're in every scene, you're the good person. And this woman is coming into your life and she's insane and she's blowing it up. Because mm-hmm. in any other movie, that's who Cassie would be. And so, uh, yeah, but it's just incredibly useful to cast people that we feel comfortable and familiar with. And, you know, Alison Brie is the same, Connie Britton. The, all of these people are people who we would trust. And that's what this film is about. It's about, um, it's about the guy at work who was always really respectful to you. It's about your mm-hmm. friend who is such a decent guy and, you know, your other friend who maybe has slept with everyone else. It's about, do you know what I mean? It's these, these are the things. It's never mm. complicated when it's a, a horrible monster. It's complicated when it's your friend or it's your crush or it's somebody that is a good, a self-identifying good person. That's that's what this film is about, I guess. It's really hard when it's Bo Burnham. <laughs> it's really hard. I'm curious before before we move over to some art department things. I'm curious how how big picture. How did you talk about this film with your cinematographer? In that in that sense of because um, we're gonna we're gonna talk about color and 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 what you were able to do on look you know 23 days, which is I with what I assume is mostly location based shooting. Um, which is a little bit like your instructions are get the movie, <laughs> not. <laughs> but I, I am curious about. <laughs> I, I, I'm curious what the inst- how you guys talked about the film. Well, in, in kind of big picture and yeah, totally. Well, I think I think I mean God, God Almighty. If I had said get the movie, we would have done the whole thing on Steadicam, <laughs> in two locations. I mean that we use the Steadicam only really when Cassie loses control. So. Yeah either in the scenes with with Ryan, with Bo Burnham, when she's kind of letting her guard down or when things are really spiralling, that's when we used And every time we used it, I was like, oh my God, this would have, this would have really made it easy. But we were determined from the beginning that it was going, that that like Cassie, it was going to be colourful and beautiful and innocuous and familiar and feminine and also kind of contained and static and... You know, it it is it is very much Cassie's film. It is still it is still it is considered. It doesn't move unless it needs to, and and so that just you know practically, as you say, in twenty three days presents like an enormous amount of problems. But at the same time, it means you can plan. And so the thing with me and Ben was, you know, right from the beginning, I sent him what I'd sent Carrie and the producers and Focus and everyone, which is a really, really maniacally detailed mood board, um, you know, split into parts. So Cassie is an avenging angel using lots of kind of Pieta references or, you know, Marta references, Joan of Arc, the films like that. You know, then there's the sort of um, Cassie as predator that, you know, then there was the beautiful sort of feminine Sweet Valley High stuff. So it was all very specific. Um, and so I think what all we could do in our three weeks prep was just, <laughs> was just be really, really deliberate about every single one of those decisions. It seems like before we welcome in your costume designer and production designer, talking about this casting, cinematography, um, music, it feels like for a location-based shoot, like we were just talking about, what you wanted out of a color and what you wanted as an appearance is is important here as well in terms of how you see this film, right, Emerald? 
this film needed to be so many things. It needed to feel... It needed to be beautiful and considered and still and contained. Um, and also sort of heightened, but not to a point where it was arch. You know, just enough that we all get cosy, I guess. Um, and so it was really important, I think, for all of us that we were making Cassie's film. So whether it was Michael, you know, looking at the colour palette and saying these are the spaces where she's safe and so we, we cool the palette, or, you know, or this is where danger is and so that we're kind of, we have red, you know, increasing amounts of red. Or it, with Nancy, it was, the conversation was, you know, this is not going to be a young woman who is wearing a moth-eaten sweater and sweatpants. This is somebody who's very practised at... Um, disguising herself not just at night but in her everyday life in order to get people to uh, not to ask too many questions I guess so 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 much of it was was sort of crafting that side of things and so Michael we got Michael Perry here with the production designer on this film and uh, Michael I right before you came on uh, Emerald and I were talking and this is largely location-based. This is a 23-day shooting. Mm-hmm. And so what Emerald just said um, is, is, is what you accomplished, but also is something that really makes sense for, for her vision. But I'm curious, you know, you get a script, you have these conversations with a director like this, and then it's like the reality of having that kind of control, uh, you know, and what I imagine, I think, is like a largely location-based shoot that you're moving very quickly through. How, how you know? Well, I'm wondering how you worked in this. I let's see. The reality I knew going in. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's you know I've done these sort of. I'm, I'm actually doing a much bigger one, but it's all locations. So that's the challenge. You have to cast the locations. You have to be willing to say no, which is mm-hmm. sometimes not easy to do. Um, but when you're, I've found in any city that I've worked, there's, once you get one or two locations and you've sort of said, this is the look, mm-hmm. then it becomes much easier. The first thing we looked at was the log cabin. And based on that look, you know where you're going to. That's the last stuff in the movie. So I knew where I was going towards and how do we play that? And um, I like to mirror locations so that, you know, something in the front reminds you of something in the back. Um, so you know, the challenge was, I didn't find it a challenge. Honestly, I found it just like uh, just a lovely experience. And I surrounded myself with people who they thought it was a challenge. I just was sort of... Um, obnoxiously clear that we could do it even when everybody cried. I'm curious about, I I saw, I think I saw this in the press notes, but maybe I saw it someplace else in another interview. There's also an element of, of color and a distinct use of color. And in some cases, I think I saw somewhere it was like, there's even trying to capture some of the music videos of the era of the, of the eighties and nineties. And this is a current day film, but That's I think because the they did those sh- music videos in the eighties <laughs> and nineties, but I think um, of uh, the coffee shop and I think of this opening um, and 
there there is a uh, my interpretation a conscious effort to introduce colors that maybe separate these these real life locations a little bit right and to well, it's it, definitely to a fantasy it, it's definitely a fantasy world and we, we we added things to make it even more dreamlike um uh emerald and i've talked about this is a strange movie for me because I referenced myself from work that I did in the 90s when I hadn't. So I was able to bring all that together as well as Murder, She Wrote. And that's what we went off of. Um, I look at the pharmacy scene like my shot at, you know, designing a Paris Hilton video. Um, so th those those things, yeah, that was, I mean, Emerald, Emerald when Emerald interviewed me, we talked about some of my more current work. And then she goes, can I ask you some questions about Sweet Valley High? And I was like, <laughs> okay. And then she warned me, I'm going to send you my lookbook, but there's Sweet Valley High in there. So you should know that. <laughs> so um, I went up myself. <laughs> Before we get to Emerald, what is it though about you know, it's funny, I, I'm thinking of the first time I interacted with your movie was, you know, two Sundances ago and uh, your publicity team, it was very good. It was that, that, that pink lipstick, you know, the promising young woman was like all over Park City. And that's how, that's how I thought, you know, it's kind of like a distinct way of what I thought of this new Carrie Mulligan film, you know, was, was, was that pink lipstick. What, what is it about, you know, Michael talking about some of the work he did in, uh, you know, decades ago, your film is, is, is from a style style color standpoint is kind of reaching for these things a little bit, right? Is it what was, I wonder if you talk a little bit about like what you were, you know, why, or is that just how you saw this? I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. It's, you know, it's the stuff I like. I mm -hmm. like, I like Sweet Valley High and I like Paris Hilton and I like Britney and I like pink. I think that there's still, we still have a very specific idea of how serious things look, how serious people look, mm -hmm. how they dress, how serious movies look, you know, wet streets, cigarette smoke, kind of blue sort of filter on everything. Um, mm -hmm. But there's, that is arbitrary, it's completely made up. So I think that this felt like, um, sort of natural really to if you're discussing a woman's life in a woman's world not to say that all women like the things that I like all people do but um it didn't feel strange to me at all that these spaces would feel would be colorful I mean nightclubs are colorful beautiful hipster cafes are colorful mm -hmm. and I mean when I felt my worst and most disgusting I have worn my best clothes so yeah so it really felt like a combination of what do I want to see? What do I like? What do I respond to? Um, but also, why shouldn't we make films look like this? And I hope that, that I hope things will start to change. Not that everything, you know, will necessarily look this way, but I do think the, that with more diverse voices telling stories, you naturally will end up not just with, you know, it's not just the storytelling, but it's actually the craft of the film. You know, it's good. they're all going to look different and sound different, and that's exciting, I, I hope. Well, I want to bring in costume designer Nancy Steiner into this conversation. 
Nancy, all these things that we're talking about, I know relates to your work, but you know, before you hopped on, we were talking quite a bit about Cassie and, and the evolution of her character and all these different elements. I'm wondering, is, was that the starting point for costume design is, 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 is thinking about Cassie and her arc and all these different elements of her story? Oh, definitely. Well, Cassie's our, our main, uh, you know, our lead actor. And um, so it's her story. And that's, you know, it's all coming kind of from her point of view. So I think, you know, obviously, she's, she's the center of it all. And then, you know, according to how she looks, I kind of based you know, everybody else around her, not exactly on Cassie's look, but mm -hmm. in relativity to her and, you know, what would be the mom of her best friend and looking comfortable in just jeans and very casual as opposed to, you know, our, our actor Sam Richardson at the bar when they run into Ryan and, you know, so just, um, yeah, she's the center, definitely. Mm -hmm. And what about um, all the different looks that she, you know, it's like there, there, there's these conscious, you know, Emerald was talking quite a bit about traps and also the way that there's there's misdirection to a certain degree. And that's certainly almost embodied in what she's doing in costume design, but it also, it's more than that, right? It's it, There's something about character every time that's revealed about her every time it's like she's trying to set a different trap going out, right? Yeah, I mean, I feel like really, I realized that um, Cassie's really a costume designer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she is finding these clothes to conceal herself in so many different ways. Um, in her day wear, which Emerald wanted her to be this beautiful candy colored feminine, soft and frilly girl where, you know, that that's a costume as well um, to just conceal what's inside all that pain and suffering. And then of course you have the nighttime outfits which are, you know, worn to fit into each bar and each place she was going, um, which, you know, in my, in my mind, I think she's just out thrift shopping and finding like fun things and putting it together, just like I do in my job. It's a psychological <laughs> thing, you know? It's um, how does this, what does this say to everybody out there? What does this say? We all get dressed every day and we're saying something. And she had a lot of thought about it. You know, she was thinking a lot about what she was, who she was portraying. And I imagine for a movie like this, the collaboration is not only with Emerald, but it's with Carrie herself, right? I mean, this is, oh, definitely. she's becoming this character. And I imagine that, I, I could just, I'm just imagining the performance that, that Carrie had to have had a lot of insight and also um, a, a give and take between the, the two of you in, in figuring this out, right? Yeah, I mean, Carrie was, just so wonderful to work with. I mean, I just, I, I, when she came in to our first fitting, you know, we had had one conversation on the phone, but she came in and 
she was so gung-ho. I mean, she, she, like every actor that came into my fitting room, was so excited to be there, so thrilled about working on this project because the script was just so good. And I know she and Emerald had a bond. It felt like you guys had a bond immediately and she trusted you. And that, you know, that was right there in our fitting room. And um, so, you know, we tried a, going this way a little bit and that way a little bit. And then we came to, we distilled it down and, and to, to what, what she wears in the film. And she was very, very easy, very easy to work with. And, you know, just dreamy, really, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, if she wasn't comfortable in something, we didn't do it. It's not, it wasn't about, you know, is again, my job as a costume designer is to make the actor feel like this is now who they are. And again, what you're revealing to the world and that's character development. And it's between the costumes, the actor, the hair, the makeup, all of it comes together to give the actor like a suit of armor to go out and portray a certain person. Emerald, before I let you go, and maybe then uh, Michael and Nancy and I could talk about it for a few minutes after you leave, but I'm hoping you could set the table before you got to bounce. In rewatching the film last night, what I realized um, when we talk about Cassie's trauma, I don't. I think it's something that's subtly signaled to the audience, but I didn't really pick up on it until rewatching this. How much of that embodied early on is with the parents and with the parents and, and the work that these two did on, on, on the look and what that feels like because in the beginning it's just it's kind of funny the contrast uh, there's a humorous aspect to the contrast of what cassie's first night's like and then these parents and it feels almost like a comedic element but you're starting to lay this groundwork of through the parents of of visually kind of telling us about the past and this like mourning of what's been left behind no yes absolutely i mean i think that as with everything in the film, it's kind of the 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 costume and the and the locations and the design and the every, everything about it is, yeah. As Michael said, it, it's it's character. That house is a character of its own, and it says so much about Cassie's life and about her parents, and it explains a lot where a she gets. I would say her sort of aesthetic taste from since mm -hmm. the house is very kind of aggressively pink and girly, but also, you know, it seems to be a place that's completely stuck in time, that's airless, that's static. And, and it's a place where her mother has, you know, I think has probably lavished all of her love and attention on this house, rather than her daughter who was there and who was a kind of hostile ghost in this place. So, you know, there's so many things like Michael, putting, you know, when we discussed the dinner party and that room and the things like the paintings, you know, what kind of paintings do they have? Are there pictures of the family? And we were just like, no, there are no pictures of the family. So let's just have big paintings of dogs, you know, <laughs> uh, but no dog. And then things like, you know, we talked at first about having um, plasticated furniture and it just felt too much, um, but, you notice that the kind of doily, lacy 
uh, dining table is plasticated. And it's just this idea that, you know, that really extends to Cassie and how she lives her life is that everything looks fine. Mm -hmm. Everything's covered in plastic. It looks and feels fine and safe. And it's not. It's kind of completely rotten through with grief and sadness and on the unsaid you know that is kind of that is what that is I think that place Emerald thank you for your time I really appreciate it congratulations on the movie thank you thank you and we can talk bad about it right yeah boss is gone (laughs) um Michael I wonder if you could pick up where Emerald just left off with the with the parents house uh, some of these ideas, um, um, because there is, you know, it's interesting. It's one of these things I think about, like you rewatch the film and you can see all of this stuff. But I think the first time you watch it, it's not, it's not that you intellectually have to be like, oh, you start connecting the dots, but you, it does signal something, right? You know, and yeah. it does, it does kind of position the audience in a certain way, right? Yeah. I mean, I think Nancy and I, I'm sure, I'm sure both do this. It's always a subtle reveal. It's not, People aren't, well, I, all right, wait, I got to back up because it's not quite true because that coffee shop kind of slaps you in the face. Um, but usually, you know, like I run colors through my movies, you know, especially location movies. So they feel part of a world. With this one, it was also appealing back, you know, to we get to where we get. Um, but at first, you know, we don't tell you anything about her. We show you as time goes on. It's more about showing than anybody really talking about it. So when you get to the parents' house, you're like, what the hell? (laughs) You have that moment where she's looking at that computer and it's going and you see that she's getting no sympathy. There's no, there's no shoulder to cry on with mom. Um, And it, and of course, as everyone on this film did, because it's the only way you could do keep up with Emerald, we all have a really dark sense of humor. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. Lee yeah, <laughs> things like, oh, let's put dog pictures up and let's do it, you know. We we all <laughs> where it's a dark movie with a lot of British humor. You know, it was, and then there was us. We all joined into it. I mean, I don't think anybody who didn't have that dark sense of humor would have lasted on that movie. <laughs> but we laughed all the time, all the time. Yes. And that's unusual. Um, it's funny, Nancy. I, I wasn't expecting, um, um, when I read through the press notes, I wasn't expecting your experience on Twin Peaks to be relevant to this, but it really kind of building off that, it, there was a little bit of, <laughs> it seems can like I, that. Can I say something to Nancy about that? I was totally intimidated by you that you had done Twin Peaks. <laughs> I just want to tell you that. I'm not very often starstruck, but. Michael, that's crazy. <laughs> I'm sorry, you did Twin Peaks. That's, you know, that was I did. Awesome. I did. Um, well, you learned I'm not intimidating at all, no. correct? <laughs> <laughs> I am not. <laughs> and I, I hope I'm not. Um, but that's, that, thank you. Um, uh, I, I'm sorry. And Michael was talking about dark sense of humor and weird. Yeah, yeah. And so that's why I made, I, you know, it, 
it seems like that experience well speaks to your CV actually was, <laughs> it's not, it's not completely irrelevant here in terms of the, in, in terms of getting a little weird, right? No, I mean, I, I've actually done quite a few dark comedies uh, in my career. Um, you know, the good girl, the Mike White things I've done, the, the show Enlightened. Um, I did Year of the Dog with Mike White, who I think is a brilliant writer. Um, I, you know, The Killing of a Sacred Deer, not a comedy, but <laughs> super dark. Um, so, you know, even Safe, my first film. Oh, yeah. Very yeah. dark. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I am drawn to the darkness, yes. Mm -hmm. um, not in a way that is, you know, depressing, but I, I appreciate stories that have more than one side to them, that have many different levels and, um, you know, just that's not just plain vanilla. I can't do those kind of films. Um, <laughs> it just doesn't, it's not interesting to me. We it doesn't give us the opportunities. The dark stuff does. Yeah. It gives you, it, I just find it much more interesting. One thing that Emerald and I were talking about, I'm wondering if we could talk about it in terms of your work is, you know, there is an evolution to this film. There's an arc, arc to this film and, and Cassie's story and, and also these layers, you know, and, and, and some of the deception that's both hers and from a storytelling standpoint that's involved. I'm curious, and, and Emerald was talking about some, some of the ways that she worked kind of changing and evolving through, through this story. I'm wondering if, if that's something, um, A, that's relevant to the work that you did um, and, and how you thought about that in terms of production design, in terms of costume design, in terms of signaling, um, not only changes in Cassie, but changes in this kind of mode of storytelling to a certain degree as, as the film progresses. If there's examples um, of that or if that's relevant. Yeah, it is actually. I mean, the one thing that changed for Cassie um, in her clothing was that after she kind of, when she's falling in love with Ryan, her color, her clothing got brighter. It wasn't as pastel anymore like the scene in the pharmacy um that pink sweater she's wearing is really bright compared to all the other stuff she had worn before so um even the um dress that she wears on the first date with him which is actually designed by emerald's sister coco Fennell. um <laughs> you know that I mean, she put on heels to go on a date and you could see she was making an effort um, to be attractive in a different way um, than she had prior. She wasn't trying to be necessarily attractive. Mm -hmm. In my mind, it was more like a candy wrapper, all the clothes she wore. And then, you know, when she kind of let herself be open to this new, new love she was shining from within and therefore her colors got brighter it was a new whole new emotional awareness for her to let herself be vulnerable to love again 
And how about you? With, so, how about with you, Michael? Um, I yeah, I have a very sort of conscious way of dealing with that. I lay everything up on a wall, so I'll mm-hmm. put the scene from the very beginning. What the scene is, whatever, and then I will start putting tear sheets and things. And then as things develop, like the red was something that stuck out at one moment. And I was like, oh, we can weave this red throughout the whole thing. So then I would put, you know, things of red all the way through. So I did develop it um, because I knew we had such a short time. I had to think of the movie as an ongoing train. And uh, I spent a lot of time, you know, just <laughs> my my crew will testify to this that you know just wandering looking at this stuff and mumbling to myself self and then going oh write this down um <laughs> and that's how we was i mean that's how i wove things in and out because it was definitely you know it's like i like like i said mirroring so there are like in the dean's office and her log cabin things those all those colors are the same, but they appear nowhere else. Um, so I, I, I definitely played with all of that. I think we all did. The, the scene in the pharmacy, I always believed, was the Cassie that could have been. Um, you know, if she had had this moment and, and dealt with it in the way she did, she'd be in a Paris Hilton video. Um, so, you know, that, that definitely to me is a very pivotal moment, um, where we see what she could have been. And, you know, we tried to reinforce that as much as possible. So then the fall is much bigger when it happens. I'm curious because, you know, uh, obviously Cassie, um, is character and herself is expressed through, through, through her clothing. And then, you know, Emerald is talking about this film in terms of its space as being a reflection of, you know, her, a, a fantasy of her world mm-hmm. of, in a sense of color. It's like, you're even talking about these locations as an extension of, yeah. of her. And so I, I wonder along those lines, obviously um, a, a costume designer and a production designer have to collaborate just in general in, 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 we have conversations, you know. Just if you don't, you're screwed, you know. But I'm, I'm wondering though. Along again, the, I will just point out, I was intimidated. <laughs> so, how much you fed off each other to a certain degree, you know, and what, um, and where, you know, if Cass, if if these spaces are a reflection of Cassie, and Cassie's wearing this, and you know, I'm wondering how, and maybe even there's a there's an example of this of of, of a, a, a scene, you know, a location in a costume. But I'm wondering if um, you talk a little bit about um, how, how you collaborated on this film, the two of you. We, I mean, we would have two ways. Um, we would have conversations about, you know, this is what I'm kind of thinking. And like I said, I had stuff all over the walls. And also in a lot of ways we communicated through Emerald. Emerald would go and say, oh, Nancy's thinking of this. I really like it. And I go, oh, okay. And then we, you know, we, I adjusted a couple of things for sure. Um, Could you give an example of that, Michael? Is there anything that pops in your head? Um, the Dean's office is where I think that, you know, she came in very professional. Emma really was taken with that look. Um, and so I, I, I took down 
uh, and made it more realistic so that those two characters shined a little bit more. But it was also all, you know, the red books behind her. There, there was foreshadowing, but it wasn't as pushed as heavily as I had planned because I was going to bring in the plaids and things like that, and I didn't. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that was through a conversation that was passed along to me from through Emerald. Because we only had moments of Emerald time, just <laughs> moments. Um, you know, so they were, so you listened very carefully because, you know, uh, this is Emerald's movie. This is everything that was in Emerald's head. We were just uh, there to deliver it. <laughs> well, that, that, that's a challenge, right, though, in that sense. Oh, that yeah. It is someone's vision. There's not a lot of prep. I'm, there's probably not a lot of money. There's not a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And, and then she's the engine making all these different things going. So that's, I mean, I know that's a challenge of all movies and television shows, but I have to imagine this one that, that, that becomes exasperated to a certain degree. Um, yeah, I I, I never, yeah, no, yeah. I think Nancy and I have, you know, have experience enough to know that there's more than one way to skin a cat. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to be, not to interrupt Michael, no. but to be honest, Emerald, knew exactly what she wanted. And I have worked with plenty of directors that don't. Mm -hmm. So it actually makes it easier. And faster. And she's not- She can make decisions and she made them really fast because we just had no time. So it, it was a total pleasure. And she was so grateful for everything yeah. and would say thank you all the time. Yeah. You don't get that all the time. Oh. She was a collaborator. Yeah. And we were- yeah, that's the thing. I always felt that we were definitely all in this together. Yeah. And look, I wasn't seven months pregnant. <laughs> I know. I didn't have to drag, you know what I mean? I didn't have to drag, I, I'm not someone who likes to hang out in the set. And I'm like, <laughs> Everybody else, she's got it worse than I do. So yeah. I'm keep smiling. All right. Well, I've kept you both longer than than I had intended, but thank you both for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, and, and congratulations on this film. It's 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 uh, you. you know, it's wonderful. Um, yeah, I'm just coming off Sundance, and I realized this film was at Sundance last year. And it's um, it's so nice when when a film like this, in in that director's vision, is something that despite the time despite the resources can be expressed you know the, for that vision to be able to be expressed through through the art department stuff um you know instead of it just being pure natural and uh right. and it's it's uh, well, really great i don't think you ever hired work. nancy and i for vanilla like <laughs> yeah no the non-vanilla team <laughs> <laughs> all right well thank you both you're very thank welcome. you chris <laughs> <laughs>